Welcome to Ethical Rioting. Oh, I broke my table. Uh, so this is Ethical Rioting. Um, Zoom was like, your attendees are waiting. And I was like, oh, well, okay. I'll just like finish making a hot chocolate for my husband and then get on Zoom and start the meeting. No one else is here. It's just me. It's just me. What's up? Okay, so I'm gonna talk about how I'm making tea. Uh, yeah, so I, what I like to do is I like to make, it's my version of a tea latte, of like a tea mocha. So I brew some loose leaf tea in a cute little, doo -doo -doo -doo. you can't see it cause it's a podcast, but it's a cute little robot tea infuser. It's metal and it's got little movable arms and then that where you keep the tea. Ooh, someone's joining, look at this. Ooh. All right, so here we have Matthew and Julia joining us. Slowly, Hello. slowly joining us. Hello. Hi. Howdy. Hey, just so you guys know, I've, I've started recording because Zoom was like, your attendees are waiting. And I was like, great. And then I got in and there was just me. And I was like, well, I'm going to record a monologue about my team. I think given that you're in theater, that's technically called a, wait, a what, Matthew, you're oh. very... Could you not hear me? No, you got all fuzzy. Can you, am I still fuzzy? No, I think you're better. Am I fuzzy? No. Okay, good. Uh, I said, you're in theater. I think that's called a soliloquy. It is, or a monologue. It, it's both. Does it have to, does it depend on whether or not you're addressing the audience? Possibly. I think it also depends on the type of theater you're doing. Where is Lavina? Mm, well, Julia, I am hi. so excited to see you. Likewise. It has been years. I know. Hello, everyone. Sorry. Steve Pett joining us from his living room. Yes, you can tell because of the green wall. <laughs> green wall you still haven't repainted. I uh, haven't refinished the wall either. Um, Sorry, back to Julia. Yeah, so Steve, just so you know, I started recording. I'm uh, to say that when Lance joins us. Julia, introduce yourself. What class? <laughs> Who are you? Tell us all the things. Oh, wait. But you guys know these things? We okay. do. Our I, listeners don't. I am. Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. We have three so, listeners, and they all know these things, too. Yes. Matthew, I'm going to pretend that we have more than three listeners for the duration of this introduction. Uh, also for posterity's sake. Yeah. Yes. When we're yes. old and we've forgotten who we are. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> we'll still be able to bore our grandkids. <laughs> okay. Well, I am Julia Jennings, class of 2001. Yay? No. <laughs> Much like the rest of us, I am in fact your host, Katrina Herman, by our two co-hosts. Who wants to go first? Three co-hosts now. Oh, Lance just joined us. Steve? Uh, I'm Stephen Pett. I was part of Class of 01 for a year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we really need to like make more organization around this and have like true intros. We could have like a whole little montage thing that comes up and you know. We, we used to have a real intro when Katrina would flip over the table. 
Yeah, but, but <clears> now <throat> we flip over the table before every episode. You guys haven't listened. I now have like an intro I edit in. Oh, what? I'm not ready yeah. for this. Yeah, it's true. Lance, what year are you? What's your name? What year am I? Well, I hope I'm in 2020. Why? What year should I be in? Something very strange is happening with your voice, with your audio. Something very strange is happening with your audio. I'm wearing a Bluetooth thing, so can you hear me now? It might have been covered up, or is it still weird? No, you're fine. Katrina's audio is doing devilish things. That's a cool effect, but yeah, I can't understand anything. At all. He's actually in the year 2043. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna take the headphones out and see what happens. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll introduce myself, um, I guess, because I, I made a bad joke, which is probably a bad introduction. I'm last in class of 2001. Okay, Matthew, who are you? I'm Matthew Charles Nisley. Uh, the first class of 2001. Okay. Did we did we solve my audio issue? Do I sound better? Yeah, you, you sounded sound like something out of The Exorcist. Okay, exactly. we'll just don't use headphones anymore. So who knows what that soliloquy sounded like at the beginning of this nonsense. The <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> point is, Julia, A, your hair looks amazing. No one else can see it, but there's this like really, like half of her hair is really short and the other half is like this swoopy curled bang. It looks fantastic. And yeah, I, like, I love oh, that. How long cool. have you had that? It's a little while. A little while. Yeah, this is a recent self-trim, so... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we've all, we've all done that, except for Steve, who was growing his quarantine wolf. <laughs> Self-evidently done that. For the audience at home that can't see it, I have a full pandemic beard, and my hair is longer than it has ever been at any point in my life. I'm getting, I'm getting close. My wife asked me if she would, if she uh, could or would trim me, and I was like, yes, absolutely, because it's driving me crazy how long it is. So, I just showered, or else I would be uh, halfway to Egon Spangler right now. So, uh, Juliet, you, your hair looks terrific. Why, you, thank so you. I wish mine looked ha half that good. Yes. Does your hair naturally have that curl in it? Yeah, it just kind of does that. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so in addition to amazing hairstyles, Julia, you, you graduated from IMSA, and then you went and did what? <laughs> Just oh. someone's 19 years old. Wow, well then. Um, then, I guess I, I went to college. I went to Tulane. Um, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And did that. Wait, were you there in 2005? Uh, I left a month before Katrina. Okay. Yeah. Have you spent much time back there since you graduated? Uh, I've been back a few different times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but not as much as I'd like. I, I miss it a lot. Did you, did you take the nine mile train ride from Tulane to, uh, New Orleans for Mardi Gras? At least once in your time there? Oh yeah. No, every year Mardi Gras. Yeah. Okay. What's this nine-mile train ride you're talking about? I'd well, I thought Tulane this. was like nine miles away from where New Orleans actually is. No, in that, like, no it's in Northwestern is in Evanston and not. No, 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 no. It's in New Orleans proper. Oh, okay, yeah. But there is. You could take a long 
if you wanted. You could take a really long streetcar ride. You sure could. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so you, you took streetcar rides in New Orleans, mm -hmm. and then you graduated and you left before the massive hurricane. Yes, yes, and, and left New Orleans for State College, Pennsylvania. Ooh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Culture shock there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so went to Penn State for grad school. Was it really that much of a culture shock having grown up in, in kind of the exurbs of Chicago? Um, it was after New Orleans. Okay. Um, yeah. But no, having, yeah, grown up in a smallish town outside of Chicago, there were some similarities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, fewer Amish and whatnot. Yeah. Lush <laughs> football. In Illinois or in Pennsylvania? In Illinois. Okay. Because I'm like, we definitely have Amish in Illinois. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but there are many, many in Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay. And then what did you devote your life study to? Uh, I studied anthropology and demography. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. Yeah, <laughs> anthropology. Yeah. Well, so is like the census your dream? The fact that it comes around every 10 years, you like tell me more about demographics? I mean, ah. this is our bit that this is our time. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's ex as exciting as demography gets um, from time to time. But yeah, census year, do your census. Yeah. PSA, everybody PSA. fills out if you haven't already. Lavina, fill out the form. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get it uh, together. Okay, but you're no longer in Pennsylvania surrounded by Amish. You. Um, now I'm in New York, upstate New York and Albany. And is that more like the exurbs of Chicago or is that more like Pennsylvania? Or New Orleans. Maybe upstate New York is surprisingly filled with uh, French culture. Um, no. Um, I don't know what, how to describe it here. I'm still... How long have you been in Albany? Six years now. Yeah. Wow. And you've been uh, teaching the whole time? Yep. All right, excuse me. Because yep, yep, yep. Albany seems like the kind of town that would have some interesting, you know, history and stuff to do to it. I mean, I went there because I went to went to college in upstate New York, and I went through a few times for big hockey games. So it just oh, it yes. seemed, you know, on on the way through, it seemed like an interesting place to be. So I can't really say much more intelligent than that. But it always seemed like it'd be kind of fun to poke around. Can we take a moment to talk about Lance? You attended hockey games. Yes. Oh, hockey's a big deal in these parts. Oh, yeah. upstate New York. Yeah, big, yeah. big hockey region. Oh. Yeah. All right, well, next Man. time you guys are in town, we're going to a Blackhawks game as soon as we're allowed I, to gather in public. I've never been to a Blackhawks game. I mean, I, I have to admit, I've never really followed hockey except for my, my college career when it was, you know, big with the people around me. So, but yes, Blackhawks game sounds great. So we'll all go. Julia, I have a... Not being from the Northeast originally or currently, I'm going to ask you a question that uh, is probably purposely provocative, and for that I apologize. Um, Do it. If you, if you had three hours to drive somewhere, would you go to New York City, Boston, or Burlington, Vermont? Ooh, 
Oh. Because I just looked it up on Google Maps and they're yes. all approximately three hours away. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Um, I didn't realize Albany was that close to New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, well, close is relative, you know. It's kind of a pain to get down there. Uh, well, my answer will be uh, colored by these times and I will say Burlington. Okay. Is it because the Ben and Jerry's factory is in Burlington? I mean, there's that. Um, there's always the hunt for Champy, the monster yeah. that lives in Lake Champlain. Yeah, yeah. of course. Obviously. One, one must, what is you that know. like anthropolo- anthropologically? Do you like hunt for Champy because you feel like he represents previous civilizations? I mean, who doesn't want to find, you know, like a mythical beast? Like the Scottish, like the, the ancient uh, Celts, uh, like feral guinea pig. <laughs> is, yeah. is, is the Loch Ness Monster or something? Wait, the Loch Ness Monster is a feral guinea pig? Uh, yeah, the, the, connection, the connection went past me too. What? I was, I was a little confused about why it was necessarily anthropological. I mean, other than that it's made up and people made it up. And so therefore, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the study of anthropology? I'm what? on a Zoom call with two anthropologists. I mean, it, a lot of people talk about uh, Nessie in terms of what is called cryptozoology. Crypto, I mean, the cryptozoology on Wikipedia, that's a rabbit hole that is definitely worth yeah. a Saturday afternoon. And that's a fantastic rabbit hole. And given yeah, that the Loch Ness is not real and it is made up by people, yes, I agree, it's anthropological. But it's also not anthropological in the sense that uh, it's it, it, that it, I don't know what I'm saying here. It, I would like to point out if there are any diehard Loch Ness monster believers, please direct your hate mail to Matthew Nicely. Um, yeah, you can <laughs> find me on the internet. Please. <laughs> you can figure out how to spell my last name. If you put my the spelling of my last name online, Katrina, I'll kill you. I didn't. <laughs> I just said your name. Well, it's okay. You also gave away Julia's position, you know, by having that whole three hour. Yeah. Somebody could triangulate exactly where she lives, right? Well, but she already said Albany. She did say Albany. So yeah, I did. I did. That's fair. Well, it's, a, it's a big. It's a big. You know, relative metro area. So I think. I think Julia is calling in from the same location as Dick Cheney. <laughs> Undisclosed in a bunker. <laughs> three miles underground. <laughs> if you could go three hours in any direction, where would you go? And Julia says, straight up, back to the surface. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And having gone to IMSA, we could actually determine how many miles below the surface of the Earth that would be. I mean, it depends on your rate Ooh. of speed. Because the three I mean, hours considering an excel- a certain acceleration, or, yeah, absolutely. You know, an arc versus a whatever it would be, a chord. There, and also the form of propulsion. Anyway, Julia. <laughs> so what? <laughs> so what are you? Well, like part of me is like, what are you doing with your life? What brings you joy? What is your passion? Are you? Do you love teaching students with this amazing Zoom setup you have with very official adult-like art on your walls? Oh, yeah, this was my little Zoom teaching hidey hole. I, yeah, yeah, so that was a thing that happened. Um, <laughs> that was different. Um, you do what you do. Um, yeah, so I was teaching a class on um, human population history and dynamics, and um, 
I got their attention really fast in March. Um, <laughs> um, it suddenly it turned out like, you know, things like crisis mortality became sadly relevant to their lives. Um, so. Do you, do you have a special a specialty inside uh, demography or what, what does that look like for you? Um, so I'm a historical demographer. I study how okay. populations change over time, usually using historical records, but contemporary stuff as well. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was what just thinking, I mean, if you did find, if you did find Chappie, you'd have to make him fill out the census form because I'm sure that it changed things a little bit for Burlington. So mm -hmm. sounds good. I'm just glad they allow um, aquatic beasts to check other these days. I know, you know, it's really important that they can self-identify. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really I mean, not all aquatic beasts have the same, you know, life experiences and, you right. know, yeah. I taught a class on colonial history in April and it was supposed to be a study abroad trip to Hong Kong, but it was actually from uh -oh. uh, my office. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, was a, it was a similar situation where uh, we were talking about European expansion into the Americas and I, I had a very serious conversation with my colleagues about um, do we cut the readings about pandemics or not? And they're like, there is literally no way that you cannot teach the material. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we had to come up with ways to allow people, and it was actually really good. Um, we, I, gave, I gave the students a few minutes at the beginning of every class to um, talk about anything that they'd seen in the news lately mm -hmm. that reminded them of the course readings as kind of a way to give them the opportunity to talk about it if they wanted, but not to force them to talk about it. And it, it led to some really great conversations and some really wonderful essays, actually, so. I'm, I'm so curious, what was the argument for cutting the readings about pandemics? Because, yeah, because I couldn't imagine not doing that at this point in history. Well, part of it was, part of the reason that, I don't think we ever actually were seriously considering cutting it, but it was one of these issues where we had all literally gone on lockdown two weeks before, okay. and everybody was incredibly anxious. And so then to talk about epidemics in early colonial history, uh, when students are at home, many of whom uh, don't necessarily have great living situations or financial situations, and then be like, let's talk about uh, uncontrollable spreads of disease while we're all facing an uncontrollable spread of a disease just felt cruel in some ways. But um, yeah, I ended up just at the beginning of class, I was like, we are going to talk about this. Obviously, there are links going on today and so to the extent that we can uh link up what we're reading in class to a news analysis if we want to talk about it that's great i mean matthew if you taught mm -hmm. the course i'm sure you know better than i do but i think it's kind of astounding do you guys know how many deaths hong kong has had i don't four i was going to say it's very few four people have yeah. died in hong kong of covid19 I mean, in one of the densest places on earth, there, I checked, there are over 7 million people in Hong Kong and they've had four deaths. It's just, it's astounding. That's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
unsurprisingly, the final assignment was very open-ended and the, the, lar the most popular topic was in fact COVID-19. Mm -hmm. How did that impact your class though, Julia? Um, we did take some time to talk um, about these things. Uh, we hit most of the major topics in crisis mortality before then, um, but it was more kind of circling back and talking about um, some of the theory we'd covered, um, um, theory about um, how standard of living affects your life chances, how that's distributed within a population, how do we measure that? Um, and then circling back to things like, how do we measure, well, anything in a population? Uh, I got a lot of questions just about, well, what do these numbers mean? What do these rates mean? And working through those. Um, yeah. Um, and then uh, by the end, I have a bit on um, population environment interactions and um, there is a passage in one of the readings that I forgot to vet and like, cause I put it on the syllabus, you know, months and months ago, but he's like, yeah, our next great crisis is going to be a pandemic. Like in the second paragraph, I'm like, we're taking that out. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, um, these were upper level students. They handled it well. You know, we had some, some frank discussions, um, but I think it, it went as well as it, could have gone, you know, given the, the circumstances. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite part about teaching? Oh, oh, that's tough. Um, huh. I really like it. Um, that kind of realization and we, we try to do this in anthropology when we, when we teach, you know, um, is sort of the, I haven't thought about it that way. Um, you know, like I thought I knew something about this, but um, I hadn't considered, you know, this particular perspective or, or, or whatever it might be. That, that thing that's a little new, a little different, that they're seeing things in a different way. Um, and that, that's, you know, the, the rewarding part, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to block out, you know, memories of, you know, the parts of teaching I don't like, but, but that's the one that gets me. <laughs> yeah. So, Julia, I've got another question for you. And mm -hmm. um, I hope this doesn't come across as, well, I'll qualify it, but I hope it doesn't come across as too dark of a question because mm -hmm. I am very serious when I ask it. Um, I, as a fellow anthropologist, uh, I think the discipline is so relevant to, I think it's so important for precisely that reason in terms of helping people understand how you can look at uh, political, social, economic questions uh, from a diversity of perspectives. And I think that is, I think that's so valuable. But um, I have oftentimes had a really hard time when people ask me the question, about, I mean, I find it to be an annoying question, frankly, but when people say, well, what's the point of anthropology? Or why should we do something like anthropology at all? And I sometimes get the feeling that uh, 
although I think anthropology has stories that I think are very interesting to tell, I am sometimes afraid that they're stories that many people in the U.S. don't want to hear mm-hmm. these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, an, in an environment of political polarization, uh, it's a very weird position to say, well, let's think about the diversity of all the Now, I understand why that could be helpful, but mm-hmm. I don't know, how do you, do you agree with that? Um, and how do you think that anthropology as a discipline could counteract that, that the stories that we have to tell people don't want to hear? Yeah, I mean, that's, um, you know, a a question I struggle with. Um, When I started graduate school, um, they were having that that big trial in Pennsylvania over um, putting stickers in the biology books saying evolution's just a theory, you know? Um, if you if you think back to those days, so the the fight then was over evolution, and I'm you know was trained as a biological anthropologist, like teaching human evolution as part of what I do. Um, so there is definitely that early experience of yeah, I'm teaching something that certain people do not want to hear about, um, and, and that's colored um, a lot of that. Um, you know, the the rest of sort of that messaging for, for the public as well when I think about my own work. Um, but it is difficult. Um, it's not easy to um, reflect sometimes, I think, um, especially when um, it makes you just so uncomfortable and people get really tired of feeling uncomfortable, I think. Um, it's more comforting just to not ask those questions or not um, think about those messages sometimes. Um, but I, I, I think that's not a reason why we shouldn't try. Um, you know, it's sort of, and in some of the work I do now, it, get, it can get a little doom and gloom, like no one wants to hear about, you know, I. I a lot of my focus is on, you know, the historical demography of Victorian Scotland. And let me tell you, it wasn't a great time. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, you know, it can get doom and gloom, but, um, but yeah, I think it is worthwhile. Um, and it's a challenge. It's a challenge, I think, to, to come up with a way to say, well, this is the, the message we have, whether it's about understanding just the the diversity of human experience, of of human biology, human language, whatever it might be, um, and the inherent good in that, and and packaging in that for people that um, really question, well, what what do I care? What's in it for me? What's the the value, especially what's the monetary value? That's a hard one to answer too. Um, It's not easy. I guess this is a very long-winded way of saying that that this isn't easy. I don't have a good answer. Yeah, I I mean, like I said, I I knew that was sort of an unfair question, but it's Uh something that, you know, I've been studying, I, I have a little ways to go before I finish my PhD, but we've been studying anthropology first for the same amount of time. And I certainly don't have answers to those questions. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I feel like as, and as Lance and I are both in the performing arts, the question of what's the monetary value is something that we're struggling to answer as well. No one denies that the arts have value, but for uh, probably like the last 30 to 50 years in our society, the question is, well, it doesn't have any monetary value. So why, if it's not making money, why should we fund it? And we've, the arts have started moving that conversation to there is value. It just doesn't have monetary value because monetary value is not the only thing worthwhile in this world. Um, There's no return on investment as far as you know, like capital outlay goes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But there is return on investment in terms of the human experience. Um, and I'm sure that anthropologically you are also struggling with, those conversations. And similarly, I'm sure in a, in a university setting, you're struggling with that conversation. Yeah, certainly. Um, and even within the discipline, there's, you know, um, I mean, I don't want this to like devolve into shop talk, but even as a discipline, we have a lot of work to do. We talk about, um, you know, whether it's theory or, or this range of diversity and experience. And there's, you know, one scandal after another in academic department after academic department, um, you know. Is there the some boys club is not dead, you know. Yeah. Scandal this week, even. In yep, anthropology. just this week, yeah. Is there someone, is anthropology the department that would study scandals in academia? <laughs> like, is that a thing? Well, that's that an interesting do? question. Um, I mean, it has been the subject of study. Um, I have colleagues that did research on women's experiences in the field and, and whether they feel safe in the field, harassment when you're away, often in remote areas, um, and, and these power structures and what we can do to address that. Um, so it has been looked at more systematically, but that doesn't stop certain misdeeds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you do research in addition to teaching? Mm-hmm. And your research is on, oh, you said Victorian Scotland. Yeah, um, that was what my, my dissertation was about. Um, now I'm working more on, on contemporary populations. Um, basically, I'm looking, trying to understand how people's kin and positions within their kin networks um, affect longevity in life. So, so sort of late life outcomes, um, you know, mortality, well-being, that sorts of things. Are you still working in Scotland or? Yes. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. um, but I've, I use data from the US as well and, and some other places, but yeah, still, still in Scotland some of the time. So does that mean you get to go to Scotland? Oh, we have 10 minutes, everyone. Oh, <laughs> well, um, I, 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 Usually do, not just now, but yeah, usually. <laughs> okay. I'm always curious to ask academics, I mean, uh, how'd, you, how'd you come across Victorian Scotland as something to, to write about and research? Um, a lot had been done on the population history of England and Wales. Um, less was known about Scotland, and it's really quite a different place. It would be like, I don't know, doing, you know, the demography of the U.S. and leaving out the Midwest or the Northeast or the South or something, right? You're losing this big chunk of a place that's really quite different. Um, 
there was an ongoing project um, my thesis advisor was involved in. And then I went up to Orkney, which is where I do most of my work. And I, I fell in love with the place. And, and it, it, it's special and I kept going back. I've always wanted to visit and I'm, I think it's a good thing I haven't because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to come back if I ever visited just because seeing, <laughs> in photos of the, of the coast and the countryside, it looks just incredible. So. Yeah, it's, it's really stunning. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went to Edinburgh and went to the zoo and I don't know if you guys know, but there is a voluntary penguin walk at the Edinburgh zoo. Julia's nodding her head. Mm -hmm. It's adorable. Everyone to see the penguins. <laughs> what, Matthew? What does a voluntary penguin walk mean? Right. So, Julia, do you want me to explain this, or do you want? Oh, to please. This? Yeah, go go for it. So, at three p.m. every day, they literally open the doors to the penguin enclosure, and the penguins are allowed to walk out. And then there's like an army of of trainers around them protecting the penguins from the like hordes of people that are lined up uh, around the sidewalk and we are given very specific places to stand so that we do not interfere with the penguins and then at least when i went there was one penguin that came out and the trainers were like he's too small he can't do it alone so we need more penguins to come out and then that penguin went back in and then another penguin came out and they were like this is a different species it's a bigger penguin he can do the walk alone. And so there were like literally seven trainers, like three in front, three in back, or maybe it's eight. And then like one on either side as this sole penguin walked around this brick sidewalk as like everyone is just taking pictures of the penguin like he's pop, like they're paparazzi. And this penguin is a superstar. And there's like trainers like back away, don't touch the penguin. And then the penguin literally just walks in a circle on a brick path and then goes back into his enclosure and they close the enclosure and everyone's like, okay, that's it, the penguin's done now. You know why they do that though? For tourists like me is why no, they do that. No, they don't do that for the tourists like you. It's because then they can sell the eggs for more at the grocery store. <laughs> then they're, because then they're, they can be because if you give them access to the outside it doesn't matter if they go outside then you can market them as free range penguin eggs mm, yummy it, I wish everyone could see it, the look on our faces that we're giving Matthew right now it's marketing <laughs> Katrina it's marketing I mean, for I'm the penguin I'm just saying I'm, Julia, I'm, that, I'm that close to believing right? that's true <laughs> And that, like in Ed and 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 Edinburgh, there's a there's an organic grocery store with organic free range penguin eggs. Penguin eggs. In a special in a special section. It's very exclusive. Very delicate. Four ninety nine. <laughs> pounds four pound four pound ninety nine. Yeah, all of you are terrible. This is true. Anthropologists true. aren't allowed to lie. That's so definitely not true. <laughs> Neither none of those things are true. <laughs> Moving on. I have something oh, no, do. I'm still smiling broadly. Life. That is true. Something I've been wanting to do for a very long time, but I've never gotten around to organizing it. And you can tell me if this is a bad idea. Um, it's a bad idea. Yeah, it probably is. The, whatever it is, which is why you should probably do it. I want to organize a pageant for people of all sexes and genders and orientations. Uh, Where they dress up as penguins. Yes. 
uh, I was thinking that I would start with all of the graduate anthropology programs in Chicago, but we could expand it, like we could do it at the AAAs. And my idea for it is that um, it would be called misanthrope. Um, I like it. That would also be my roller derby name. Oh, that's a good roller yeah, derby name. That's a fantastic Can you roller, derby? roller derby. No, I do not. But you should you do know, now. Maybe. Yeah, do now. I have, I have a. Speaking of uh, your research topics, I have a friend here in Chicago who used to be in roller derby, and her name was Pam Demick. Ooh, <laughs> timely. Yeah, that's good. Very relevant. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. Do you think people would get into the idea of doing a pageant? I mean, if marketed who, correctly. Yeah. Who doesn't want to get out their fancy duds and. Yeah. I was thinking thing. conference wear. So everybody would have scarves. Oh yeah. And chunky jewelry chunky of various jewelry. sorts. Yeah. Right. Um, I was thinking for the soliloquy section to tie it into the earlier conversation, Katrina, mm. I was, I was thinking of, um, like randomly assigning a hominid ancestor to each person and they have to be like, alas, poor uh, Australopithecus afarensis, I knew them well. And then they have to write a soliloquy about Australopithecus afarensis or what happened. In iambic pentameter or? I mean, we could, we could hash out the details. I feel like that might be... I would be, I, I think that it would be uh, enough to get a rhyme of any kind without it being iambic pentameter. Like, yeah, I've, I've been thinking this all through. Okay, great. I'm changing my vote to good idea. I'm just, I'm going to go on record and say that I, I'm changing okay. from bad idea to good idea, uh, pending, you know, details that don't involve, say, I don't know. I don't know. I will let other people make good decisions. How do you feel about it, Lance and Katrina? If if we have if we have a a full if we have like consensus here, I might pursue it. I mean, I will help you plan it. I think it's going to take six months to plan anyway, so we might as well just plan it for next spring. And it turns out we have at least twelve. Yeah. I I personally would love the title of misanthrope because you know I like I I'm I'm an introvert, so I think that title would suit me very well. So I'm all for this. It would look beautiful great. on a sash. It would right? be terrific. Yes. I think it's With a great crown. idea. Could I be yeah. Isippy? Could you be what? Miss Isippy? Yeah. Wait, is this something where you now also have pageant names in addition? <laughs> yeah, and Steve Pett's going to be Ms. Uri. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already Ms. Urable. As they say, misery loves company. Ain't that the truth? As long as, as long as I don't get the sash that I'm from Ogeny. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's for the people we don't like. Yeah. That feels like maybe misconstrued joke. Oh. All right. We, okay, we're going to take a picture real fast. Everyone smile. <laughs> I'm going to, there we go. Definitely print. Okay. And then, Julia, we've got a minute and 38 seconds. So. I don't know. What's your favorite color? Oh, um, blue. Oh, what's your favorite, oh, favorite, fried, color? What's your favorite fried food. Eggs. Oh yeah, like scotch eggs. Yeah. 
Uh, I all right. I love I love British TV, so I know the term. But what what's on the outside of a Scotch egg? I should know this. Sausage, bread and fried. Mm -hmm. Already, I'm already in love. All right, but what do you drink with your Scotch egg? Whatever you want, but but beer goes. (laughs) Julia, another really important question for you: Did Katrina tell you that these are completely unplanned? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did ask. Well, what are we going to talk about? And she's like. Stuff? We have no idea. We really don't know. Edited. (laughs) Lightly edited, it sounds like. She's trying to get a mentorship student to become an editor. I mean, trying is a strong word. That's that's not what's (laughs) going on. She mentioned it once two weeks ago. Hey, get get a minion. It it is the way. It does make life a lot easier. I don't know. I, does it? Because now that I'm in charge, and I think it's much more fun to just edit in an intro and then be like, "Go forth, internet." The inter the internet will take what it does. It it will it will internet. To our wonderful audience, this is a great opportunity for you to express your opinions. Email us. Uh, what's our email address again? At gmail.com. 